0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast edition today. This is a really special edition with a wonderful guest who is a longtime friend of mine. I met her on my first trip to Mysore and she became like a sister, a mother, a mentor, a guide, during my time in India, and personally I've benefited so much from her insight over the years. And she has well over 35 years of experience with wellness and yoga, and you'll also find that she has an ever-unfolding magic box of stories that will leave you feeling both inspired and enriched. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce the most fabulous, Kimberly Kiki Flynn, And I know you're going to love this episode. I am so excited to share with you my guest today, who is Kimberly Kiki Flynn.
1: It's incredibly exciting. I think the the last time that the three of us were speaking to each other, we were all married to other people.
2: I think that's probably true. I think that that is probably true, though I don't keep notes on those types of things. (laughs) Instagram, Instagram does that for us. Yes. yes, I think we all were. Um, I'm, i really made my
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm really actually confused. Actually, um, Kiki, when we knew you, we knew you as as Kimberly. Yes. And that that Is seems there a like
2: story. There's a story.
1: There seems like an important distinction, and I just I wanted to know if you could if you could what 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 happened there.
2: So I have a sister who is an Irish twin. She's about 10 and a half months older than I am. And I'm born Kimberly. And when I was born, she was at that stage of saying, Mama, Dada, Kiki. Mm. So my family has always called me Kiki. Oh. And um, then I guess anyone that I was ever close to who would be around me with my family would call me Kiki because they called me Kiki. So you know, if my mom or dad called the apartment and be like, "Is Kiki there?" Oh yeah, Kiki, it's for you. Mm-hmm. When I went off to college, uh, I went to NYU. I studied theater. I transferred to the American um, to the experimental theater wing at NYU, where I first learned yoga um, and continued to learn various yoga things relating to being expansive as a performer in body, mind, expression, and everything like that. Um, I was in a class. Kind of one of my first classes, and there was another Kimberly in the class. And the teacher said, asked like, "Oh, well, we have two Kimberleys in the class, which God knows that's so unmanageable." Um, she said, <laughs> "Is is one of you a Kim?" And the other woman, uh, who ended up becoming a very close friend of mine, she was tough, and she was from Texas, and she said, "My name's Kimberly." I was like, I'm not even going to fight that battle. Like that's hers. Her name's Kimberly. Even I accepted that. And I said, I'm Kiki. So in college and after, I've always had a group of family or friends that called me Kiki. And um, Kiki's pretty consistent with my family sort of across the board. Then when I, um, I came back to New York, I'd been living in Los Angeles for many years. I'm, I consider myself a New Yorker, mm-hmm. uh, and I, then I lived in Hawaii for several years, and in about 2009, I chose to move back to New York after the end of a marriage, a 13-year relationship, and I thought, I want to get back to my creative self, I want to get back to my creative communities, Um, and I was really excited about getting, I never want to drive a car again. Um, because I grew (laughs) up in cities, not driving a car. And so driving a car is really weird. It's like wearing a giant hat and you (laughs) have to keep like watching where you're going because you're bigger than you really (laughs) are. And it's very (laughs) true. Everyone around you is moving really, really fast. So, um, I thought, and then I never have to drive a car again. And that's, that's, I pretty much stuck to that. So I came back to New York and there were New York friends that started calling me Kiki. That was really, mm. um, it was just really meaningful for me. It just was, a, it was like very, it was great. I was just like, I'm back here and all oh, this is, I'm just back in this community. Some people were like, God, I didn't know you still lived here. And I'm like, I don't, I, li- I left for, you know, 16 years or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was the way the East Village was, you know, when I yeah. was in the East Village in the 80s and early 90s and everything. So, um, so then I really liked that. And I started reintroducing myself as Kiki. And then um, I had this idea, which no one agreed with, maybe one person agreed with, that I was going to start a YouTube channel. And that was like three years after YouTube had been founded. And I was like, I'm too late
1: i too great for YouTube.
2: Right. <laughs> um, so 10 years ago, I think, I started a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And I, it just, I called it Kiki Says. And I wanted to share not necessarily yoga, but all the other stuff, like all the wellness stuff. And I'd say to people, oh, no, it's really wellness. And they'd be like, what's wellness? Cut ahead, you know, 12 years later or whatever, 10 years later, um, everyone is looking for wellness, which is great. Yeah. So I guess that's how the Kiki came about. And then kikiflynn.com was available and I just went that way and I like it and it felt like a kind of fresh creative child just some part of me like awakening to an earlier part of myself or something like that so that's what that is and um yes people still call me Kimberly and people call me Kiki and and they call me both and I remember transitioning to my new name on uh, Facebook um, and it was like kimberly kiki kimberly kiki Kiki, whatever i was changing my last name my yeah. first name my whatever i felt like a porn star or something <laughs> <laughs> well, you me. you would you
1: would know um when we when we, we'll get, we harmony wanted to talk about the movie striptease but we we don't have to but um we met the three of us i think well, I met you in 2003, and I think Harmony probably met you the next year.
0: 2004. 2004,
1: yeah. and I, I do. I want to talk about these these transformations that you seem so eminently capable of, and it's, it's incredibly exciting to see. Uh, when we when we met you, and I'm, I guess I'm going to speak for Harmony at this point, but. <laughs> uh you were the the most knowledgeable person in this this small little suburb of Gokulam outside of Mysore and you seem to know the most about uh yoga the most about the the scene about carnatic culture the the cultural mores and and yet I've seen you on, on MTV. Like you were an MTV host at one point. I
2: wasn't an MTV host. Actually, my sister was an MTV host, but I was a Comedy Central um, co-host with Jon Stewart.
1: Oh my goodness, that's what that was. I'm so sorry. I should have done my homework. And
2: no, that's I fine. Knew i knew I'd also, seen you I, I assume that was MTV with MTV because I you know I booked a sketch comedy show, which was a really big deal, but it never got made right. um, I also am um, infamously there was a kind of a sketch comedy called um oh my gosh on h b o and there 's a very famous um it was like a spoof trailer, and I strongly recommend that anyone watch it it probably started the genre of spoof trailers and it was called raging bullwinkle. <laughs> and I have actually had people come up to me and say, you were in raging bullwinkle. And I'm thinking in a platinum wig and a 1950s house dress, yeah. you know, smoking wow. a cigarette ringside. So wow. I, I, I am, obviously it stars bullwinkle in the role of um, <laughs> Jake LaMotta. And it's very funny and you can watch it on, uh, YouTube so I was um, I was always attracted to I w- guess what I would call like bohemian life mm. I read too much Anais Nin right. as a teenager we all did. and I really I just had the strongest calling to be in New York City to be an actress to be a performer but really to be part of a of a creative artistic bohemian community which sounds old-fashioned but even at the time that sounded old-fashioned um which is really fine because I powdered my face you know in like pale powder and wore <laughs> 1940s <laughs> burgundy lipstick and I wrapped my hair like a you know Catherine that's, Hepburn or
1: that's so Henry and June like that that's amazing
2: so I um so I went to NYU and I lived off campus and I was just starting to meet people like in 1980 or 80 who were living in the East village. And it's really hard to imagine if you know Manhattan today that barely anyone went, actually there was, you know, New, New York city was in financial debt. Albany right. was like, we want it to have nothing to do with you. Um, there was such urban strife obviously across the United States after the Vietnam war and, um, all this rising, you know, drug trade and street violence and everything like that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, my memory of the city was that there were places that were, um, it was like you were like rats running from like shelter to shelter or something. Mm -hmm. And there were so many swaths of the city that were just, um, Off zones where people would say, like, that's dangerous. That's, you know, and the city would really go dark after dark. So Mm -hmm. there's many people that, you know, at that time never, if they were downtown, they didn't go east of Third Avenue, what to speak of second or first or A. And I was like, I'm going to get the last apartment for under $200 in the East Village. And I looked all summer. And I failed. I got an apartment for $235 a month.
1: Wow. Right.
2: That's incredible, right? It's yeah. incredible. And Being this exploited. Really insight into why we had such an incredible art movement in the 80s because people were paying very little for rent and it allowed them a lot of free time to make art. Mm-hmm. All of the um, kind of storefronts had, that used to be thriving shoemakers or something like that uh, had all been boarded up Mm -hmm. and they were not renting and so artists living in the neighborhood were asking their landlords like what's going on here can I rent it some landlords like take it for free take it for 100 bucks take it for 150 bucks and these became um, galleries and performed spaces and the rest is really history Um, but these apartments were rent stabilized many of them were controlled and it meant that i could teach a few yoga classes and per, do perform as an actress i wrote and performed one woman shows i worked at a lot of amazing clubs like ps 122 and la mama i worked with amazing directors and independent filmmakers and it was really a, an odd period like no one audition people would be like i saw you in that will you come be in this and it, was a really thriving cultural community um so from there i i was working in independent film i was i was most because i was this downtown entity and i wasn't really under i kind of got niched into that Mm um and so i was i was mostly going out for kind of like uh, sketch comedy shows or improv shows on these new channels called MTV, Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, so then but I was auditioning for other film and television. And then I got to this place, and this is before the internet. It's before Craigslist. It's before Airbnb. It's before Uber. Like if right. you wanted to go to LA, it was really expensive. You had to have some money in your pocket. And you had to rent an apartment and you had to buy a car and you got, had to kind of do all of that pretty quickly. And so I thought, I guess I was about 31 or two years old and the art scene was changing. The money was going out of the arts. There was a big backlash against the National Endowment of the Arts. And, right. and so I thought there was a, Ronald Reagan was president. It wasn't pretty, you know. <laughs> and, the the
1: um, Robert Maplethorpe thing with Jesse yes, Helms. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. right.
2: It was like, wait, we gave national endowment money to this, you know, photographic artist who took a self-portrait with a bullwhip, inserted yeah. anus. Right. Um, this has got to stop now. And right. it did. It stopped. It dried up. The, the cash flow dried up pretty quick, or the grants and everything like that. And it was terrible, for the arts and then also there was this terrible scourge of aids and we lost yeah. so yeah. many artists um so many people were lost um one of my i don't know favorite is the right word but an instagram that really is so meaningful to me is aids memorial and every day they put up several um like personal shared stories with photos of um people that lost their lives to aids and it just brings so much to life. Like how many extraordinary people were lost yeah. and they were lost very quickly. So
1: that is a arts, lovely channel that the, the, the Instagram. Yeah. Feed. Yeah.
2: So the, this, the art scene, the city was changing very fast. I've been doing yoga all along. I discovered yoga kind of against my will. I had <laughs> rallied. <laughs> this might not surprise you. You know, I was working in college and like, you know, I wanted to get the most education, the biggest bang for my buck. And we had a pretty mediocre vocal coach, voice teacher. And from my other friends who had different voice teacher classes, they were learning technique. And I was like, technique, technique, I want to learn technique. Yeah. We're just like getting on a stage and saying, my name is Kimberly Flynn, and I am an actress. And then our teacher would fall asleep. I was like, this is not This is not worth anything. (laughs) And I went to the head of the department and I said, you know, everyone's cutting this class. We're not learning technique. And I think if you were to observe it, you would be aghast and you would find us a new teacher. And cut ahead like three days. That is exactly what happened. I do recall looking over my shoulder and seeing the look of, you know, agog upon her face. Horror. <laughs> and yeah. so now we're getting a new teacher. I'm super excited. And the teacher comes in. And for that school that I was in, that was at the Lee Strasberg School, the Method Acting School. Lee Strasberg wow. is still alive. One of my classmate, uh, classmates is was John Legwizamo. Yeah. Oh, he said in a recent uh, one man show or an interview or something that I read, he said, you know, I tried to get into the Lee Strasberg school. I tried to get into an acting school. No one except me. They finally accepted me and Lee Strasberg kicked the bucket. Like the moment they let me in, he kicked the bucket. <laughs> oh. And so we can thank John for that. No, he was elderly <laughs> and he did pass away. And I did have an opportunity to see him work for me, the school, all the teachers were, I'd say 60 years old plus, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it felt outdated. Um, It was outdated. It was, I mean, uh, I'm a fan of Marlon Brando and on the waterfront and that whole period of acting and um, all the great acting that came out of that period. But I was like, this is a little old fashioned, but so this young teacher came in she was maybe 30 something. And she said, okay, let's begin with yoga. And I was like, yoga, yoga. (laughs) I don't want yoga. I, I want, want to learn
1: how to use a voice. A yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we did what I f- didn't find out until maybe two or three years later, Kundalini yoga. Oh, and for then me. we laid down and. We, that would um, affect your
1: diaphragm, wouldn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we laid down and she talked us through a visualization and I passed out. But before I passed out, I remember my shoulders that were like somewhere up around my mid ear and every other teacher kind of like pounding on my shoulders and going like, lower your shoulders, relax your shoulders, as though that's apparently an effective method for getting people to relax their shoulders. Um, I had this moment where my shoulders just dropped. Like, it was audible. And my life, like, I completely relaxed, and it was blissful. And then for this school where we always, these classes, we, like, sat in theaters, old-fashioned theater chairs, and you went up on the stage and did your work. She's like let's just sit in a circle and go around the room. I was like, a circle. Who sits in a circle? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, satanic. Go, go around the room, exactly. And just share with me a monologue or a sonnet, a Shakespearean sonnet that you're working on. And as we went around the circle, everyone did like their best work ever. It was just so moving. It was so beautiful. And then it got to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been so analyzing this. You know, I'll, I'm not going to have the same experience. I had a beautiful experience. And then... I started the the notebook and I wrote down everything I could remember that we did and I added to it every week and I started doing yoga every almost every morning. I would say four or five mornings a week I would wake up extra early and I would do this hodgepodge of yoga. Then I moved over to the experimental theater wing and we did a lot more movement theater and sun salutations and like even you know my last year of college it was sort of like oh kiki would you like to lead us in a warm-up of sun salutations wow. like i was sort of that person
1: but that's the thing you are that person like you're you are the expert in the room and that's how we knew you and it's it seems it, it it's it's so like you that that would be you know that you would go from from being uh a, an a, An expert in in the dramatic arts in New York, and then you're gonna you're gonna somehow, and this is what we wanna know, is somehow end up in in Goklam as the expert in Carnatic culture.
2: You know, I had so much respect for Patavi Joyce and everything I was learning. I had so much respect and had such meaningful relationships with You know, nearly everyone that we engaged with, whether it was those wonderful three sisters that Mm -hmm. sat in the front of their father's shop all day or the young boys that lived around the corner, you know, Ajay and Deepak, who were five and six years old and had such a fascination with who these foreigners were living in their midst. And I still have relationships with these people today. I first went to Mysore in 1995.
1: But but why would you do that?
2: I just want I've always wanted to go to India. I'm kind of an intrepid traveler. Um, My parents were pretty intrepid travelers when I was about 11 years old. And I think my mother was like six months pregnant, 10 years old. My dad got an offer of a job in London and my mom was like, great, let's go. Like, and I have an older sister. so. We moved over there. We went to a Catholic school. Actually, it was an Opus Dei school, which, if you know anything about Opus An Opus, Opus
1: Dei <laughs> school? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. Yeah, an we didn't Opus Dei school.
2: We didn't even know what Opus Dei was. We didn't well, know it was an Opus Dei school. Well, well now for I our know, listeners,
1: it's, it's where our attorney general, like, wraps himself up in leather and beats
2: himself. Right. That's right. And it's where <laughs> it's basically, it's, it's an undercurrent of the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. I, I'm kind of a book snob, I will admit. And if everybody's saying a book is the greatest book in the whole world, this is definitely a Klesha of mine. I will not read that book. And so <laughs> everyone was like, you have to read this. You have to read this. I was actually in Mysore and I was, you know, kind of Skyping with my mother or something. And she was like, oh my God, Kiki, Kiki, Kiki. Have you read the Da Vinci? She goes, no mom, but I know what it's about. It's about the goddess culture. She was. It's about Opus Day. Yeah. And I was like on the street corner getting a rickshaw. I was in downtown Mysore, wow. at every bookstore looking for the Da Vinci Code. I was at every wow. street bookseller with their paperback books spread out. I could not find the Da Vinci Code. I was actually like flying home, maybe 48 hours later. I got into Bangalore. I was like, take me to every bookstore. I have to get the Da Vinci Code. I got the Da Vinci Code. Um, My partner, Noah, he was like, you're not going to read that all the way to L.A. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to sleep. 36 hours later, I (laughs) finished The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) I know all the dark secrets of where I went to school, the Morehouse School for Girls.
1: Do you you flay yourself still today?
2: (laughs) I I never did any of those things. (laughs) I did get in a lot of trouble there. Um, After eating in the very fancy dining hall, I did exclaim that I was stuffed, which if you know what get stuffed means in Britain.
1: Oh. Yeah.
2: I was like, oh yeah. my God, I'm stuffed.
1: Get stuffed.
2: And I was in the headmistress's <laughs> office.
1: Laker.
2: And um for, you know, for, for using that word. And then another thing, I just thought it was so funny and weird and wonderful that everybody said bloody hell. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so... It was like I was living in a movie or a TV show, and I said, Bloody hell. And they're like, You've taken the name in vain. And yeah, I like, yeah. How could I take the name in vain? I said, Bloody hell. And they're like, You did it again. <laughs> says, that comes from By Our Lady. hell. So, Bloody hell means By Our Lady, meaning the murder. Right. Right. So, I had these really international co opus day friends. Actually, it was a very interesting school. So there was a lot of European girls and Greek and even, it was, you know, from really all over the world. And my father was doing business in Europe and we would kind of just like squeeze in, you know, and stay in his hotel room and travel over Europe. And my mom would just take us out during the day and we would walk our little legs off. And um, we did a lot of culture. The other thing about going into this school was when I, would be starting I would be a year behind in French and so like three weeks before school started we had a French tutor come to the house every day and teach us French so I would say that really set the ground for me having some affinity for Sanskrit as Ooh. I was had to learn French, and I was like, "What do you mean a masculine verb and a or masculine noun and a feminine noun? What does right. that mean?" That's
1: right. The CIA actually came to you on That's an airplane right. once and recruited you for the CIA yeah, been, because you were a master in French and Sanskrit
2: and Latin. I wasn't oh, in Latin. Right. I wasn't a master, but <laughs> it, interestingly, I have been approached by the CIA. Three times, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And you'll have to. It
1: was, that. It was twice when I knew you. Oh my
2: god. And um, my French teacher like gave me for um, sure, <coughs> CIA. But we also had to learn Latin, and that was really excruciating for me. Oh really. We wrote in it, we had to write in ink pens, not the feathery kind that you dip in an ink pot, but (laughs) just the kind that have cartridges in them. But I'm left-handed. So if you're left-handed, you write with an ink pen, you smear the ink across the page as you go. Yeah. Right,
1: yeah, yeah. You and if to...
2: there was any mark... That's
1: sinister, isn't it?
2: It's <laughs> sinister. And if there's any mar, Latin mark... Latin <laughs> it's a Latin joke. It's a Latin joke. Well done. If Thank there's you. any mark on the page, you have to start again, but you can't tear the pages out. So I would yeah. have like a 45-page notebook and I'm finally finished my homework on the last page or something. Oh, um. <laughs> So when I was introduced to Sanskrit, I was like, okay, I get this. It's the same architecture. Like I right. didn't have to learn everything here, but I get it. Yeah. Okay, so that but, was helpful. So uh, then let's, so I but, was an intrepid traveler. So now I've moved back to the U.S. I'm, you know, it used to be so cheap to travel. You would look at the back page of the Village Voice and the whole but, back page with ads, and it would be like, Oaxaca, round trip, $198. And I'd work one night at bartending and be like, See you later, I'm going to Oaxaca or something like that. Or it was very easy to go to Europe. So I was always an intrepid traveler. I was but, very attracted to traveling to India. I read the okay, great- Okay, but
1: wait a Railway second. Wait, wait a second. So you're in <laughs> Manhattan. It's, it's easy to, che- it's, easy, it's cheap to travel. You like traveling. You do a oh, little, you do yeah. some yoga. So
2: but one my closest re- yoga friends did their yoga teacher training at Shivananda Yoga in India. And I was like, that's amazing. So that would be like Sharon and David of Jeeva Mukti, Eddie Stern. I think they all met there. Ruth Lauer, Lisa Shrimp. Oh,
1: Ruth, yeah.
2: And um, so Lisa
1: Shrimp, yeah.
2: So after I was doing my own yoga practice after college, I was performing, I was writing, I was dancing, I was doing really exciting things. Um, Maybe bartending like twice a week they'd say do you want to pick up more shifts and i'd be like what part of my rent is only 235 dollars a month don't you understand i'm i'm midas you know i'm so wealthy here mm-hmm. because my mm-hmm. currency was to have time to make art and to do yeah. yoga and to go see great film and great art so um I found my way to a daily Kundalini class, maybe two years after school. And I was like, oh, because there was not a lot of yoga and there was, but there was a fair amount in the East village. And so every morning, I think at eight o'clock in the morning, I went to Robbie Singh's class and people were just coming home from the nightclubs and they'd be like, where are you doing? Where are you going? (laughs) And I I really didn't know anyone that practiced yoga. And back in those days, not a lot of people did fitness. Either. Right. So to be someone who like I would run over to the track on the other side of the um, you know, east side and like run on the track because I ran track in high school. I loved running. I would take dance class. I would take yoga class. That was kind of weird. If people were professional dancers, they were. But people weren't just like they are today. Like everyone's a weekend or a warrior, everyone's an Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, warrior. So I started doing daily yoga with Ravi Singh, kundalini yoga, and that was really important to me, and after maybe a year or so, he said, you know, these health clubs are calling me, they want yoga classes, I don't have time, why don't you call them back, and I was like, I can't teach yoga, and then he's like, you buy all the books, I was like, yeah, I bought all the books, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I bought all the books, um, so I started, teaching yoga at a little health club not far from me and um, it paid $35 a session now you guys oh, like it it's still yes. pays $35 exactly. a session exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. it's crazy
0: to imagine a world without um, a mass of yoga
2: teachers and yoga right. teacher training yeah. <laughs> like no right. one could find a yoga teacher right <laughs> And so I taught two classes back-to-back on a Tuesday. That was $70. I taught two classes back-to-back on a Tuesday and a Thursday. That was $70 more They had a sauna. That's like $1,000. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a sweet bonus. Yeah, that was a really nice bonus. And I just developed a really dedicated group. And then I knew Sharon and David from Jeeva Mukti through the, the East Village art scene. And they had started... David had turned his painting studio, which was a corner space with floor to ceiling glass, into an artist's studio. And he was in there making these very large abstract oils, mm-hmm. oil paintings. Russell knows what oils are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows I'm talking about paintings. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: you're not <laughs> coconut oil, you know. exactly. Yeah. And
2: um, so many, and there was an old piano in there, and so many people came in, and that eventually morphed into the Life Cafe. Right. And so I knew Sharon and David through that. And from is that neighbors. in the
1: in the same location on Alphabet City, right next it to Square. the Square? It was
2: on 10th and B, and it is no more. But there right, is okay. one in his um, ex-wife um did open in um bushwick so i believe oh, that place
1: you know, is gone bushwick. now
2: it's gone it went a few years ago oh wow okay um so i remember you know seeing uh you know david and um sharon around town that lived two blocks away i mean you, you kind of it was really a neighborhood you saw all the same people all the time and they were like we did our teacher training we're teaching yoga now, and they would hand me a little flyer, and I would stick it on my refrigerator with a magnet on top of the other one, you know, that they had given me, and with all the other, you know, but with all the other calendars, and events, and art opening, and I had a teacher, you know, when you have a teacher, you're not teacher shopping, like, I totally liked them, and admired them, and they're my kind of, you know, they're my seniors and so many things and practicing yoga longer than I have etc and so I um then there were some changes that happened with my kundalini yoga teacher and I was like well maybe I'll just go study with them and mm-hmm. I pulled a piece of paper off the refrigerator and it was a block from me wow and okay. On Eighth and B, in the school that Guy Donahay eventually taught in, which I think Russell, you were there. Yeah, that's mm. right. That was the original Jivan Mukti, and someone was living there, and they were renting out this large space as like a dance rental.
1: Yeah. And Sharon and David
2: sense. rented it like two sessions on a Tuesday, two sessions on a Thursday, and maybe one on a Saturday. Yeah. Because Not there
1: much- was still a bar in there even when we were doing a strong yoga.
2: Right. There was the da- like a ballet bar. Right. Harmony would understand what that is. Yeah,
0: yeah I'm familiar with those.
2: <laughs> it's not a place you get cocktails. <laughs> no, God. exactly. It's so,
1: fucking funny. Um,
2: so, so that's I that's
1: mean, refer that's a callback. Harmony. That's I know. What
2: that is. Yes, in the world of improv. So we um that was really my even though I had done smatterings of what we might call hatha yoga shivananda influenced yoga a younger um excuse me integral yoga influenced yoga that was the most imp- popular yoga of the time people did I, I, shivananda trainings in the united states yeah in the bahamas in india or they did the integral yoga training they were very close swami Sachidananda, the founder of integral yoga the woodstock swami yeah in gurubai of swami vishnu devananda of the Shivananda centers, their guru being Swami Shivananda. And so they came over as renunciates and they, you know, opened ashrams and had teacher trainings and retreat centers and everything like that. That was really that kind of arching, stepping, arching uh, sun salutation. That was standard. Mm-hmm. And, and that's
0: something people don't necessarily know if they're kind of newer in the Ashtanga or in the yoga world. That the Shivananda was very, very popular, much more popular than um, even Iyengar or
2: Ashtanga yoga. Yes, and, Ashtanga um, yoga took the lead. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and the, the Integral Yoga Center, Swami Sachidananda, had a whole center
2: in New York City. That's right, and a health food store, mm-hmm. which I, I recently think they, closed.
1: I think oh also. <laughs> I think also to stress, and I think this is what you're leading up to. Is that uh, Jiva Mukti is, from my perspective, the, the basis in, uh, for Ashtanga Yoga's presence in New York City?
2: Absolutely, Russell. And I would say that the two most influential yoga schools for this modern age of yoga hands down, Sharon and David with Jiva Mukti and Mati, Azrati. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yoga works. Beautiful, yeah,
2: May his and Rest in peace, right? Chuck and Mati. Yeah. yeah. And Chuck, I'd say, was a stalwart teacher. Mati, absolutely a master teacher. But she was mm-hmm. so visionary. She had such a strategic mind for yeah. engaging the community of yoga practitioners that came to Yoga Works, mm-hmm. and very influential, kind of Hollywood. People, whether they were producers or screenwriters or wives of producers or actors, actresses, aspiring, you know, create Hollywood creatives. And of course, you have some extraordinarily good looking people in L.A. who are yoga teachers and with a lot of charisma and a lot of ability. And she really tapped them to teach at Yoga Works and Brian Kess, Shiva Ray, Sean Korn. Yeah, I mean, sure. in a holistic way, she was like, take the teacher training, teach here. Um, yeah. So Even John Friend came up through yoga. Absolutely. Works. And um, Steve, um can't think of his name at the moment. But anyway, there were these top teachers, yeah. Steve Ross. Yeah. And many of them went on to open their own schools and develop their own yoga. And as these teachers you know, really exploded and these kind of Hollywood people, well, everyone's looking, not everyone, many people look at what the Hollywood people are doing and that just brought more people into the classrooms. And so Mati was really strategic with that. And the next really, and she was practicing Ashtanga, teaching Ashtanga. And so that was a real, along with Chuck, that was a real place for Ashtanga, Meister style. The next thing that she did was when she, I mean, this is me extrapolating a little, but it seems that when these teachers have such a strong following, these charismatic teachers, well, they go off, they can get the funding and they can open their own schools. So she did something which I really admire. She created a yoga works teacher training, a yoga works schedule that the teachers were trained to teach. The front desk people were trained to guide the students. And so if you went to a basics didn't matter what time of day who was teaching it you were going to get these foundational things when it was you had enough of you know a foundation a teacher would say hey you should start taking one you should start taking two you should so Mm -hmm. she was very good at that so then the system the technique the yoga experience that kind of became the star teacher so to speak Mm -hmm. and um I think that's why Yoga Works was an entity that could sell because mm-hmm. they had the strategic system. They had a strategic training. Their classes really could accommodate everyone, you know, in a systematic way and in a growth-oriented way. So, could, could you could you help so, us
1: understand? I just, please I just go ahead. Say,
2: so, meanwhile, in New York, you have these expressive artists, spoken word mm-hmm. artists, punk poetess, like they just like head-turningly fabulous, you know, mm-hmm. David and Sharon. Um, and Sharon, you know, trained as a professional dancer. She actually was a highly sought-after aerobics teacher. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in these big dance aerobics clubs. And she did wow. dance aerobics. And that really became the way that when she started teaching yoga in these health clubs because she or these dance centers – because she had a great rapport and she had huge students, huge numbers, numbers, as they say, Mati was the first person that I ever used, heard use the word numbers. This is like 1995 or something, 96 (laughs) or something. And she said, you're not just, you're just not getting the numbers Wow. Sunday at 11. So I'm going to move you to Tuesday at four. And I, you know, so she was the first person. She understood business. She had high rent. Yeah, she, you know, she had a great she, business mind. Oh my God, she really yeah. did. Um, and so here you have Mati who really offered up these white yoga rooms with wooden floors with no adornment. And then you had Jiva Mukti, which was like adornments on adornments. It was a collage of adornments. Psychedelic. Of gurus and psychedelic. And we had to play music in the class. And we actually had to like preset all these tape cassettes and remember like the song started at three minutes and 32 or, and it it was a crazy mess. Detailed instructions. I did not comply with the music. They're like, you don't play enough music in your class. And I'm like, that's, I'm sorry. I'm not a professional DJ, Um, but teaching. So then, so then I started studying Ajeeva Mukti. And it was very creative, it influenced Shivananda, what we might call Hatha Yoga. Mm-hmm. And then they went and they studied with Bhattavi Joyce and they came back and they said, this is what we're doing now. And mm. our minds were blown. Just pretend you've never seen Maritasana C in your life, what to speak of D. You've never seen, you know, any of these asanas. Asana. It's like mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so that was, so now we were doing this kind of improvised Ashtanga and then I had close friends that went and people just came back and they had the greatest experiences and they were traveling to India and that's something that I always wanted to do. And so I I was decided that I was going to travel to India. It was just a question of when, and then Patabi Joyce was going on a tour. He taught in New York city for the first time at Jeeva Mukti in like August of 93 and maybe because of the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, David had this idea that the windows should be closed. And it was August in New York City. And he, oh at 6.30 in the morning, the sweat was dropping off the ceiling. I Whoa. do recall, and her name shall remain um, private, <laughs> hearing a slurping sound and looking over and seeing someone slurping sweat off their body is off their shin in a desperate (laughs) attempt at rehydration. Oh my God. That's a really good idea.
1: Oh my God.
2: (laughs) And David Swenson came out. We'd never seen anyone press into a handstand and Beryl bender was there. And um, John Campbell was there. We'd never met him. He'd been traveling and living overseas. And of course knew Eddie Stern for many years and knew that Eddie was now sort of, just doing this Ashtanga thing. And um, so that was super exciting. And for the, hun- the 100 people, the two classes of 50 that were there, wow. I would say that that was transformational. It was certainly transformational for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we just started a little morning practice group. There was nowhere to do a Mysore class. Right. And I would meet with like Lisa and Ruth in the morning. We all lived a couple blocks from the original we're not there, the second Jiva Mukti, which was on 2nd Avenue between 9th and 10th Street. Mm-hmm. And we would get there early, like 7 a.m. was so early. And we would just work it out as best we could. They'd both been to Mysore already. So I would kind of just follow along and memorize and started that um, primary series. And within about six or eight months, I moved to L.A., I went back, did some bartending job, made a lot of money. I was like, well, the art scene is changing. Do I still want to be a professional actress? And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, I'm, so I should move to L.A. And I did. And then um, I had, like, I was fired up. I was happy to be there. Any casting director that ever said, if you ever come to L.A., look me up. I looked them up. And <laughs> yeah. I, I looked them up. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. And I met with them, and I, I think I'd say pretty quickly, I was cast. No one cared that I was a downtown person. They did, I wasn't, and in, in New York, this is going to s- seem a little strange, I couldn't get a commercial agent, like, to be on a TV commercial. Like, Harmony could, back in those days, any day, these <laughs> days, Harmony could get a commercial agent in, like, three seconds. I right. couldn't get a commercial agent because, are you ready for it? I was too ethnic right and i was like ethnic irish or ethnic german
0: yeah. <laughs> i
2: had this giant head of long you know big brown 1980s curls yeah. and i had you know kind of brook shields i had dark eyebrows you know that was sort of the look and i think it meant like ethnic jewish or ethnic yeah. greek or ethnic italian
1: right and it yes, was southern common, european not christy brinkley
2: Right. And um, apparently people that look like that don't get to be on TV commercials. No. Well, I moved to LA and a longtime kind of improv comedy friend of mine said, come with me. I want you to meet my agents. And they signed me in that second. And one of the hardest things to do was to get a voiceover agent. And he said, oh, throw her in the room with me. Throw her in a recording with me. And I booked the very first Uh, radio spot commercial that I auditioned for. I booked. Yeah, you have Um, such a great voice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But it was, you know, I was interacting with him and we'd done a lot of improv together. So something that I couldn't do in New York in approximately 10 years, I did in LA very quickly. And I started acting quickly. And then um, I auditioned for this movie called Strip Tease. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, no one else can do this role.
0: Because (laughs) why? But this is,
2: people will say this about a role. One, it had an accent. And I am uniquely skilled with accents. I played an Israeli stripper. So I guess I was ethnic after all. Um, (laughs) It was an Israeli accent. And at the time, I was spending a lot of time at the Shivananda Yoga Center in kind of Venice area. And there a whole new group of sort of interns showed up, and they were all from Israel. Wow! And so I was surrounded <laughs> by Israeli accents, and so I was running all my lines by them. Yeah. One of my favorite things in the whole world is dancing, and I kind of grew up. Um, I grew up with some rather unique dance experiences, but. When my mother sent us off to ballet class in London, when we were, my sister and I were about 11 and 12 years old, it wasn't like a kid's ballet class, like nothing like that existed for some mm-hmm. reason. So we were going to kind of an adult beginner's ballet class because, well, you should send your kids to ballet class. And we went with our neighbor, our downstairs neighbor, and we would go off to Covent Garden when it was still like a giant fruit, you know, wholesale fruit and vegetable, you know, um, outdoor market. And um, we would go take dance at the London School of Dance, and one day after class, we wandered onto the other floors, and you could look into these windows, and there was actually like um, a Haitian, like an Afro Caribbean dance class. And we just never went to ballet again. We went to Afro Caribbean dance, and that. Were you telling started...
1: your parents that you're going to ballet? I don't and you think went to we did. I don't
2: think we did. <laughs> but, um, but. Not that, that I think we just like, we left the house, we liked being a little bit sneaky. And so we left the house at the same time, but we would like walk to Covent Garden and then we would use our tube money to buy like a kiwi from a fruit seller or a pomegranate because it was a wholesale fruit market at Covent Garden. We'd be like, what's that? That's a kiwi. Can I get one? They'd be like, oh, for you, love. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was, it was weird it was like a movie two pennies <laughs> it, <laughs> it totally excited my my theatrical mind yeah. um and then um so at some point in high school I started going to the city we were living in the suburbs going to the city and studying at Alvin Ailey my parents love the Alvin Ailey Dance Company it's probably one of the original um like African and Caribbean arts celebrating yeah. in black mm-hmm. dance companies and um, so I studied there and did more a lot of Haitian dance throughout I actually first met Lisa Shrimp, my one of my best yoga buddies in Haitian dance Lisa oh, went wow. to Alvin Ailey on full scholarship at the age of 17 which Incredible. is something that Madonna did it's sort of like you know, 15 people or something in the whole country are selected for this rare scholarship. And Lisa obviously is an extraordinary yogini. She was, she's an extraordinarily trained dancer. So I first met her in that. And then we both ended up uh, seeing each other in yoga at Jivamukti as well. So here you had, you know, Mati's way of sharing yoga with the community in LA. You had Sharon and David's way of sharing yoga with the community and they were both hugely influential, absolutely, today. So then I moved to L.A. I was practicing Ashtanga. I got a job teaching at Yoga Works and some other yoga schools. And um, and auditioning for projects and earning money as an actress. And then tease comes up. I'm like, okay, I can do the accent. I love to dance. And... Um, and I'm a comedian. I'm a comedic actress. Um, so I don't think someone else can hit all of these notes, um, mm-hmm. to be a comedian and do it an is really excellent and kind of like dance. have the moves, you know? Yeah. yeah. Really and so dance. at the final callback, there was only one other person that I was up against for the role of Ariel Sharon. <laughs> and um, and, I, and she, was, she was a great comedian. Um, you know, if they cast her, it wouldn't have been about dan- being able to dance as well. Um, so it was intense and it was exciting. And I booked the job and it was, it was a really big deal. And, and because, you're fabulous in the role. Thank you. <laughs> and it was a big deal because Demi Moore was being paid more than any other female actress up until that time. $12 million. She was commensurate with a men's Hollywood um, right. paycheck. And yeah. so it was just all over the news, all over the press. A slight caveat. She had to take her shirt off, you know, yeah. in right, that yeah. role. Yeah. Um, but so so I booked that. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And the second thing I thought was, I'm going to Mysore.
1: Right, with the <laughs> money. i have money. Yeah.
2: You know, I'll be like throwing it in the air and jumping on the bed or whatever. I thought, <laughs> I'm going to Mysore. And I called Lisa Shrimp, And I think she'd been to, maybe she went on to once, maybe Mysore twice. I think Mysore twice. And I said, I want to go to Mysore. And I had my schedule for the film. It was going to be like... August, September, October, October, November, or something. And she said, I'm going December 1st. I said, I want to go with you. Okay, great. And so that's what I did. And I was in an independent film that was opening around that time. We had our opening in New York. And then uh, that film ended up winning uh, the prize at Sundance, which was very exciting. That's a film. I really love that film. It's called Rhythm Thief. And I remember the casting director, the, 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 the director who I really knew through the East Village and he knew my work. He was like, you can't do this role. You're a comedic actress. And I was sort of like, F you, I can do this role. And he was <laughs> like, I mean, this character, she's like the queen of Ludlow Street. And I was so mad. I was like, he doesn't think I'm the queen of Ludlow Street. He thinks <laughs> that I'm like, you know, Miss Lower East Side. Like, yeah. And I knew the casting director and I had to reach out to the casting director and she was like, this is totally your part. Like, this is totally right for you. And so I got that film and that was super cool. And anyway, so that's how I came to be in Striptease. It was a really exciting and cool experience. I still have friendships from the film today. Um, you know, two of my other co-stars or three, actually, the group of co-stars, we really had a nice rapport. And um, I had the I'd say I was really one of the only ones that sort of could skillfully improvise. And so much of what I said was improvised, which was fun because there would be these pauses. And I would think, why isn't (laughs) anyone talking? Oh, I better say something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the trouble with the film now, if I go to watch the film is, You know, they've since cut it to be, you know, viewable on an airplane or something. Right, yeah. There's probably about 45 versions of the film. And so in some (laughs) versions of the film, I have, like, some really good dancing. And there's a great moment where I, like, come down, you know, the catwalk, and I, like, give a wink and lick my teeth. And (laughs) there are actually versions where they cut that out. I don't know who.
1: Just too sexy.
2: I don't know who, why they thought (laughs) they could do that.
1: I I realized that there's a bunch of movies that were trying to show Jediah like Beastmaster and Conan the Barbarian. Uh-huh. And when I saw them as a child, they had cut out all of the nipple scenes. Right. And I didn't realize now showing them to Jed that what we were in store for was an evening like a like bonanza of of
2: was a, a, a pre-puberty awakening. awakening. Yes. <laughs> I think they call that night sweats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's three of us watching TV. I, uh,
2: oh so, my God! So what? I, so now jumping over to Mysore. So when I went to Mysore, it was so old-fashioned, you guys. It was really like, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen the photos. It it was really like stepping into the past, almost like the 1930s or 40s. Yeah. There were very few cars on the street. There was very few motorcycles. Um, there was, you know, even Patabi Joyce drove a pedal moped. Wow. And um it was really quiet. Most local people rode the buses, people walked everywhere. If you looked at the colleges or the universities, it was a sea of bicycles and all the same, that same black bicycle, um, you know, from the factories of World War II or something like that, or maybe even earlier. And everyone wore a sari. Um, No one wore a salwar kameez or what we think of as the long tunic, like a kirta with the loose trousers because the South Indians and the Mysoreans, the Carnatic people, that was really part of their heritage was the sari. And that two piece outfit was from other regions. Mm -hmm. And it was very, you know, provincial. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I understood how important etiquette was, and also I understood what not getting your bum or breast grabbed on the street was, because we grew up with that in New York City, when I traveled to Europe, I'm like, oh my god, they're still doing that here, like, (laughs) when I traveled to India, jump ahead 20 years, I'm like, oh my god, I remember crossing the street with Noah, like crossing KR circle, like this really busy traffic circle and bot, you know, human beings are accelerating towards you from all directions. And I crossed my arms, you know, over my chest, like Bruce Lee, and I had my (laughs) elbows slightly widened. And Noah asked me, what are you doing? And I said, do you see that guy there? He goes, yeah. I said, he's going to grab my breast. And he said, how could you possibly know that? But before he finished the sentence, my front block arm raised up and knocked that guy's reaching hand (laughs) my anatomy. Um, So I also had, and I, you know, I just wanted to respect the etiquette. I wanted to feel safe. Mm -hmm. It, when I started wearing a sari, it was so meaningful, not only to my teachers, but to everyone that I knew Uh, to total strangers and um like the like the Indian people the Indian people yeah women would pull me into their shop and they would put Prasad in my mouth Mm -hmm. they would hang flowers in my hair they would retuck my entire sorry um (laughs) and it was I really you know I felt like I wanted to be a goodwill ambassador Mm -hmm. and so um eventually I were sorry I was interested in the etiquette um it was a very, you know, different place. It's like in the local language, you don't ask, how are you? You ask, have you had your meal?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Have you you don't say have you
2: goodbye. Yeah. Have a nice day. You say, I go. And then I come. Yeah. yeah, like, Hogi go <laughs> and Hogi come. yeah. Um, So I wanted to learn the etiquette. I wanted to have good relationships, you know, the moment, the day, this, the hour I was leaving, I was already planning, you know, when to come back I really, you know, when I sort of moved to the East Village, it was really, it was kind of radical. It was on the edge and same, you know, I moved to Los Angeles, I opened a yoga school in Silver Lake. And my partner asked me like, why do you wanna open a yoga school here? This is actually, you know, there's gangs in this neighborhood and there's, you know, drugs in this neighborhood. And I said, because in five years, this will be the hippest block in LA. And he's like, how could you know that? cut yeah. 5 years later the hit yeah. in la <laughs> you'd seen it
1: you'd seen it in new york it was I'd easy it to new track york. that's right yeah a,
2: going to india being in a small community kind of learning some language learning some etiquette having these wonderful relationships you know people are so appreciative like whenever we return our teachers I think Patabi Joyce was, you know, everyone said they were going to go back or almost everyone. They said, I'll see you next year. And so few actually went back. When someone came back, he would be like, you're back. He remembered their name. He remembered everything about them. He remembered the city that they lived in. He remembered who their mutual friends were, who had been to Mysore. It was really, it was truly a personal experience. And I remember people saying to me, and I think this touches on some of the questions you had asked me in advance, like, oh, you have this special relationship, you know, with Guruji, you have this friendship or you're this a favorite student, you know, it's too late for that. I said, it's not. You just show up every afternoon for these talks and eventually ask a few good questions and, and do the practice and practice the technique. And you also will have that opportunity, which you both know because you had that opportunity, right? Yeah. yeah. Coming seven or eight years later. Yeah. Um, what was
0: interesting, I mean, I think when we showed up, you know, your role by that point, cause you had been, you know, coming for, for eight or nine years before us is you were almost like a translator of sorts, translating our-
1: of Gokulam.
0: Yes, translating our English into uh, words that Patabi Joyce would know and understand yes, um, and during he-
2: these conferences. He would he would turn to me and he'd say, "Kimberly, what is that man asking?" Yeah. Say, oh, yeah. Kingie, he's asking this, and he said, "Oh, what language is that?" I said, "That is English. <laughs> it is New Zealand English, or it is Australia English, or it is Texas English." And he would say, "I only understand your English." Yeah. <laughs> I used so to read sweet. his mail, and um, <laughs> and then I think I just I also understood how much he had to share around the philosophy or around the lore and the myths and the story and the, you know, the myths of India and everything. And, and so I, I wanted others to hear that too. Mm -hmm. I I wanted, you know, he was always accused like you only teach asana. And many of us did not experience that. We, we've got so many teachings. And so I could, I could ask these questions and I could, you know, having a relatively um, great memory. (laughs) I could remember parts of these stories or these things that he had shared. And I could say, oh, can you tell us this or that? Or, oh, you know, isn't there a story about this or that? And then he would launch in, he would put down the newspaper and, you know, we were off and running. And I also knew how offended the neighbors were, you know, neighbors marched into Patabi Joyce's home, the old school and the new Mm -hmm. Shala, a daily because yoga female yoga students were bearing their midriffs they were wearing petticoats essentially underwear as their skirts right. um they were braless or there was an incident where a couple that was studying at Jayashree's while her father was still alive um and you know this is an old you know uh, this is a um He's an advisor to the Maharaj from multiple generations of advisors to the Maharaj and this kind of keeper of their, you know.
1: Jayashree's husband, <laughs> Narasimha, yeah. that fellow?
2: Jayashree's yeah. father. And Jayashri's oh, father, husband, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, fa- her husband is also an advisor and yeah, sees right. the museum and everything. So um, this couple left and they kissed out on the street in front of Jayashree's home. Hmm. And the neighbors told the father, Your um, daughter, Dr. Jayashree, is teaching a prostitute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she came to me weeping and she said, you must help me. My father says I can no longer teach because I have invited prostitutes into my home. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to safeguard that before. (laughs) You know, I wanted, I, I at least wanted people to understand like what was the etiquette and then Sherratt would say to me, you must tell these students to wear clothes in the classroom, particularly <laughs> after he was married.
1: Right. And,
2: you know, his wife was peering into the room and there was, you know, scantily clad women. Yeah. Um, and and some people would show up in bathing suits. Right. There yeah. was the bikini incident. I and saw it, I it saw it a, a, a girl
1: from Bombay. I saw her beaver in class for <laughs> sure. Tabi Joyce was and, working with her in Utita Hasta. And I went to the right and was like, oh, that's a beaver. Oh my goodness!
2: And he doesn't mean a furry animal that's up in the country. No, I kind of do. Well, it's kind of up you know, in the country. Putting <laughs> I'm putting the cunt
1: back in country. Oh my
2: god! Um, <laughs> okay, Is, but I'll just to finish up. Like you did ask me in the email. Like, did you know you were the doyen of? And it was kind of like, yes, I chose to be a Goodwill ambassador. I wanted to save people, like the paint. Like they'd say, "Oh, we're going to go to this shop or this tailor or this or that," and I'd say, "No, don't," because you're going to, I was, I was early Yelp. Yeah. I, I was yeah. early Yelp. I was early Wikipedia. I was early, you know, and I just was like, let me save you a little heartache and a little money um, and actually get you the outcome that you want. And then with the yoga too, I was happy. I was really interested in learning the technique, the vinyasa, the chastanam and then I began studying, you know, Sanskrit and the sutras and other things. And I, and I wanted people to come study with Jayashree and have that opportunity too. So, yes, I was very happy. I was happy to share. I didn't, everyone there shared with me so generously. Yeah. And I was happy to pass on so generously so people could benefit from that if they couldn't get it directly and uh to share that so yes can
1: i ask you the i i once did a video on youtube one time and i got so much flack for it from our generation of peers because uh-huh. i was you know advertising myself on youtube and using social media as a platform to put myself forward which is the famous
0: crown a video nobody oh right
1: nobody even like had that kind of language at that point because everybody was being told at that time, like, you know, don't advertise. And yet, like you mentioned this earlier with Mati, and you mentioned this with, with Sharon Gannon, like they're like very savvy entrepreneurial business ladies who are, you know, um, advancing the cause for yoga in the country. And, but at the same time, like we were hearing like, you know, from Batabi Joyce, like, no, no, just don't hang a shingle, just hang a shingle and, and the students will come. How and I, I, I think, think uh, how do you reconcile this?
2: Well, for me, I don't really have. There's no n- nothing to reconcile. Um, I think what you know when Patabi Joyce said yoga is not a business because he could foresee that people were coming, people that came and studied with him won. So I remember someone brought a yoga journal um, back when there was only one yoga magazine and it was made out of paper. Uh, yeah. They showed up you know, in the old neighborhood with a yoga journal, and, you know, we would be so, there's no computers, there's no internet, whatever, we would be so desperate to, like, lay our eyes on the printed page, you know, we were all reading so many books, and now here's a glossy magazine, and so I went through it, and so many of um, Guruji's students were in there, and I was like, Guruji, do you know this magazine, and he opened it up, and it's like, I will tell you this. Anyone who took an advertisement in the early yoga journal, they all became big yoga teachers. Right. Right. One ad, there's only one industry magazine. Yeah. If you had enough belief in yourself that you made a DVD, well, DVD, I don't even we didn't know what those were. If you made a VHS, VHS <laughs> you, yeah. You made a calendar or you um, wrote a book or something. If you advertised it yourself you wrote a manual or something and you took out an ad in yoga journal every single one of them became leaders in the teaching right. world because they had opportunities through yoga journal but everybody laid their eyes on them there was only one place to see yoga and you mm-hmm. we they were doing it so Gordy was like oh yes richard freeman i knew him i met him in blah 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 feather ranch 1986 or whatever right. <laughs> oh yes shiva ray she's coming my sort this year and that Oh, that is John Korn. Oh, that is Brian Kest. His father was coming miser. He was coming miser too. They had all studied with Patabi Joyce. They had all come. And he could see that many came once. And then to his mind, they started businesses that they didn't have the yoga knowledge. They hadn't. Well, obviously they all had yoga knowledge. I'm not saying that. Maybe that they hadn't dedicated themselves long enough or deep enough to do that. So they all were obviously dedicated and experienced. So I think a lot of what he was saying was like, don't study this to go out and start a business in six months. Right. Come do the yoga, learn to practice. And
1: when we went onto the
2: internet highway, where do you hang your shingle, Russell? You hang it on the internet highway because that's the highway (laughs) that people move down. So I want to tell you a story. So not many people, when people were first having laptops... Yeah, in the world um, Claude Wampler uh, ah! celebrated you know multimedia artist she traveled- Mar-
1: married to John Campbell yes. and came to my school and showed us all pictures of herself naked which I appreciate yes.
2: yes exactly mm. so she was a multimedia artist and kind of a performative as well. And so she was, you know, traveling the world, doing her performances, and she was traveling the world with, like, a MacBook, which was, you know, just crazy. It was so modern and amazing. Right. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I would love to show Patabi Joyce the internet. Because <laughs> he might...
1: Really? Of course, that happened once. That happened (laughs) the first time. Of course, it did.
2: Yeah, because he would really benefit from having at least one page on this internet superhighway. Yeah. Told people where he lived. Right. What time to come? Yeah. So uh um he had these beautiful phones it was you know they were like from 1940 they were massive and giant and they rang in the next room and he would get up and leave and answer the phone and call out whoever it was for and come back and sit down and so um we figured out how to use claude's internet dial-up wow. on wow. Tavi joyce's phone and set up the internet and i said guruji I want to show you, this is the internet, and it is like a magazine. It's like a magazine on the computer, and everyone can find this magazine. It is like a brochure or a business card, and everyone can find this business card or this brochure. Look, here is Jeeva Mukti's mm-hmm. brochure. And mm-hmm. Jiva Mukti had a very Robust website. I think it was like 108 petals of the lotus, and you just went around and clicked on them all. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then I said, This is Richard Freeman's website. And he's really looking and studying, and we're clicking through and showing him everything. Wow. And he said, Yes, I would like one of those.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's so nice.
2: And then then he got one. Um, so the shingle. The shingle. Then he yeah. got a shingle on the, on the internet superhighway. So I think I would have felt self-conscious or something to go on, you know, Kiki says and teach yoga and be a yoga guru. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But also, if I had wanted to do that, I think I would have been thinking, well, pe- I'm going to be criticized within my community but I'm going to be doing so much with the greater good. I will take it. Um, (laughs) So I went on there and I, I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I will say that there's a lot of things that people heard directly in Mysore. There was a lot of things that they heard 10th hand. There was a lot of things. I remember that one day after led, intermediate or lead primary i can't remember all these students came running up to me and they were like what did guruji mean in um in halasana when he said close the spine close the spine How do <laughs> yeah. we close our spine and i was like <laughs> when did he say close your spine close spine i was like toes point toes point
1: toes point yeah
2: he wasn't saying close spine. He was ah,
1: saying
2: point." Yeah. See, that's where they needed me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> the translator. That's exactly where we that's needed you. That's where you guys needed me. And then yeah. what happens? Like one person goes to an internet cafe and emails someone back home about closing their you spine. You have to close the spine. So <laughs> a lot of what was heard was heard second or third or tenth hand. A lot yeah. of what was heard was just not understood. Right. Yeah. Um so um but you know I think there's the stage of the yoga student I think it's the stage of any student it's the stage of mature maturing yeah and there's that kind of young entry level stage we want to do everything right Mm-hmm. And then there's some kind of policing of the community about who's doing it right and who's not doing it right. Yeah. All I can say is I'm so glad I grew out of that stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's an extremely excruciating place to be. Uh, <laughs> so
1: much work to do.
2: Oh my God! There's so <laughs> many people to oversee. Yeah. Uh, so and yes, we were vying. We uh, like like children and like mentees. We were. We were vying for the validation yeah. um, of our teacher and of our teachers um, that we were on the right path, that we were doing it right. We were, let's face it, we were giving up our jobs, yeah. we were giving up our earnings, we Prime were traveling earning years. on tight budgets. <laughs> yeah. And we were going to India to learn and we were really putting everything into this. I remember there was. Kind of a gathering of some longtime students or something, and we've been invited for some part of some Homa or something, and at Patabi Joyce's home. And his daughter, his, excuse me, his granddaughter Shami was there. And Shami was telling us a story of friends of theirs uh, in Bangalore, Indian born, you know, Hindu, uh, that their son. <laughs> Had become very involved with ISKCON, with the International oh, you know, yeah. Center for Krishna Consciousness, yeah. and that they were worried that their son was in a, in a cult and he had given up his, he had given up the religion of their home, he had given up his degree, and he was in this, and everyone was very worried about him. And I yeah. said to me, we have all given up our degrees. <laughs> yeah, we all gave up our university degrees. And many here our
1: home religion
2: have given up their home religion yeah. no no no, this is different and everyone there said, no, no, no. my mother is a strict Christian, this or that, or my you know parents see it this way, and no, we have all given up our mm-hmm. degrees, those of us that are teaching yoga mm-hmm. and given up our home our family religion or something, to come here and study with your grandfather yeah and our families are questioning, you know, the same thing. So we went there and we invested, we went in deep and we were embraced and we embraced the culture and, you know, the history of of, of one square centimeter of ground (laughs) in India is so rich and replete with story, right? And so it's really like a an ever unfolding um, magic box of how much we could be inspired and how much we could learn and how much we could study. And um, it was like a wonderful phantasmagoric, you know, exploration. So yes, we did want to know we were on the right path and we did want to do everything, you know, the right way. I'd say my, my understanding now, and my experience, and certainly this is what is taught, uh, and what we are told, and read in all the Shastra, But the yoga is the yoga practices, the tapas. The these practices are cumulative, mm-hmm. right? So we're transforming ordinary breath through the use of Tristanam, through drishti, through ujjayi, through firmness of asana. We're, we're transforming breath into prana. And then there's a distillation of prana. We continue, we continue into this virya, you know, and we're moving, mm-hmm. hopefully distillates to tejas and ojas and amrita. Mm-hmm. This is our kind of, our nervous, this sort of wisdom body of a, of a, of a honed nervous system. And gaining increased constitution uh health constitution as well as um, expansiveness of consciousness or peace of mind uh through these practices, so I don't feel that the practice always has to look the same. Does it always have to be two hours or you know whatever that might be yeah. no we're we're and we are we have an ever evolving um consciousness um so hopefully hopefully we have some wisdom uh we've come by some wisdom from all of our dedication to our practices and to our teachers and to the techniques well Well, i'm so
0: i'm so grateful that we had your tutelage and had you as a part of our close community when we were in mysore because
1: truly our our auntie
0: yeah sangha you know is only as good as the people who are a part of it. <laughs> and well, thank I, you. I was, feel like that was a really rich education that we received from, from you know, your wisdom and, and just so many senior students that very, were-
1: Very gracious, madam.
0: Ahead of us. And thank you, Russell. Yeah. Thank you, Harmony. And so tell us, what, what are you up to now? I mean, besides sailing around right. the East Coast, what, uh,
2: what are you, what's going on with you? Maybe six years ago or something, seven years ago, I can't remember. Um, I mean, in terms of dates, I don't have the exact dates, the year, but I was really exhausted and burnt out teaching my programs, So I'm very happy to have had that opportunity I could see this kind of changing yoga world. Um, And there was so much yoga. It didn't seem relevant to very many. There was very few students that it seemed relevant to learn from, you know, kind of a unique tradition from an experienced teacher. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think it's what Tim Miller used to call their, you know, yoga shopping. And then there's always the bargain bargain yoga um right. which pop <laughs> up in Mysore. Um so I just it wasn't fulfilling to me. I felt like had so much to share. I wasn't sharing. Yeah. So I actually went to a career coach, you guys, a very yeah. good, a stronger friend of mine who made a huge life shift. I was like you know, I was thinking of going to a career coach. And she's like, oh, you should go to my career coach. I was like, you you went to a career coach? She's like, yeah. How do you ever think I sold two books to Random House? Mm -hmm. So I went to this career coach and we're talking. And he said, I don't, and I wasn't allowed to tell him what I do. He's kind of, you know, out of the box. And he said, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you want to do, but I know what you should be doing. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what's that? And then he was like, you should be sitting here. And he was sitting in a very elegant, armchair and I was like sitting where he goes you're a coach Uh, you're a coach and you should be coached and he said not that you need it but you should NYU has kind of an open enrollment on this professional coaching certificate and it's a lot of professionals who are transitioning their careers it's very legitimate you're kind of covered by all these coaching associations and he goes I never tell people exactly what to do Go enroll in that program and start right away. And I was like, oh. okay. Yeah. So I looked at it, I went to an open house for it, and there were some very like high level, very just successful, very cool, charismatic, interesting people in the room. And I signed up. And I'll tell you, there was one place where my career coach was wrong. I needed it. Like Oh, I really I needed it. I mean, yeah. coaching is uh, it's a skill set of uh, for facilitation there's you know uh cultivating emotional intelligence and so a lot of things that i'm there were things that maybe i had a a foot in but there were things that i was not Mm -hmm. not at all it was a great amazing transformational education for me i've always had a good um facility to teach private clients one-on-one i'm still i have a client of 20 years Wow. I still see a client socially when she comes to New York. She was my first private client. I met her through Yoga Works, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago or something like that. So, what I was able to do, and then I started working with a coach because I could see how powerful coaching was. And I, a big moment for me was to kind of convert let's say a high-end private yoga engagement into a six-month wellness coaching agreement paid Mm -hmm. in advance. And my coach coached me through that. My coaching, you know, courses and experiences and insights and everything. And my coaching professors uh, gave me the tools to be able to do that, um, to treat this as a high-level coaching engagement and, um, you know, my heart was like jumping out of my chest when I was going to give my little pitch that I had mm. memorized. Well, this is how I work going forward, squeaking voice, sweating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he, um, shook my hand and said, sign me up for six months.
1: Wow. So
2: wow. that was really a big change for me. And also what it, it just shifted what I taught and how I offered it, and it really shifted to, the outcomes of the client or the coachee um, and not just say on the yoga mat, but in these different areas of their life. So I I use a lot of these coaching tools, with my private clients, and that's amazing. And a few years ago I found myself, I had just signed a big client, you know, on this sort of six month engagement, three days a week, but I guess about two years ago, but I had plans. I was going to India. um, And I was like, Oh my gosh, I just signed this whole thing. I'm leaving in three weeks. And I uncovered that um, other private yoga teachers who I highly regard, who have so much to offer, they had some oversights. And, you know, when most people talk about their private clients, they talk about their private clients being um, flaky. Yeah. I teach private clients, but they always flake out. Well, right. that's because they don't have the tools that I have. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't use, they don't put in the professional tools. So I actually developed a coaching program, an entrepreneurial coaching program um, for yoga teachers. So I work with yoga teachers and Pilates teachers and Ayurvedic coaches and wellness coaches all over the world. Um, I have an online coaching platform of seven modules that is a kind of an inner transformational uh, aspect along with the sort of the business elements and the discovery elements to create lasting, ongoing professional relationships that give yoga teachers an opportunity and other wellness coaches uh, to share everything that they're passionate about, to have impact with their knowledge on other people's lives to help people have more success in their lives, whatever that area might be, socially, you know, enrollments, whatever they've shared in health and fitness and wellness, and to earn livings that are commensurate with their knowledge. You know, here in the United States, we're freelancers. We have to cover our own insurance. We have to provide for our own, uh, you know, so-called retirements. Uh, People have to send their kids to school and camp Mm -hmm. and everything like that so should yoga teachers be making uh real livings absolutely um absolutely
1: where can we find that website
2: go to Mm kikiflynn.com and you'll see one of the tabs that you can click on says yoga success Mm -hmm. and you can read and click and you'll see some testimonials and then um a little shopping cart will pop up and Anyone that's interested, just, uh, you know, reach out to me on Facebook, email me through my website, people email me, we set up a call, we discover if this is, you know, the right thing for you or not. And then during the the pandemic, as I was coaching all of my yoga, my yoga professionals online, I was like, get on Zoom now, but my town didn't close yet. Don't wait for your town. Listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't wait for your town. Don't wait for Governor Cuomo to tell you, be the first one in and yeah. so, as I was coaching everyone how to move their businesses or start and you know incredibly satisfying teaching on Zoom and set up all these different aspects of it and some one of my ladies, one of my coaches she has a brick and mortar and she said, I just put everyone's, um, you know, memberships on hold. I was like, don't put their memberships on hold. Give them yoga for yoga. They are going to need yoga. Uh, Yoga cannot go on hold, make it seamless. So, (laughs) So, so that was exciting. And then I'm sort of in the country, like a house cat, (laughs) Uh, And it's sort of snowing in May. And I was like, wait, maybe this is where I want to open my new yoga school, on the cloud. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I started something called KikiTV.life. And I didn't want to have any, I wanted it to be on a platform where if you go in and you swipe your credit card and then you want to cancel, you just go back in and you cancel. Like I wanted, I didn't want to have to handle any of that. Yeah. And so I'm on a video on demand streaming platform and I teach four or five live zoom classes a week. And, you know, not everyone can say this, but I was like yoga sutras is my low hanging fruit. (laughs)
0: It is your specialty. You're very, very good at yoga sutras.
2: Thank you. Sanskrit chanting is my low-hanging fruit. And when I set up my schedule, I thought everything that I teach, the way that I teach, I want it to bring me joy. Like it has to be joyful. I do something called the Kiki Weekly, and I look into just everything that I'm kind of obsessed with. I have expert events that are eventually shared on my so-called you know podcasting channel for free Mm -hmm. on kiki says on youtube and so a lot of people that helped me through like some kind of health and inflammation and pain changes or whatever with somatics and barefoot movement and um you know i'm bringing them on the show leaving a vegetarian diet behind which was um responsible for so many of my health problems I can't even tell you so, so it was also an opportunity for me to like talk with people that I really want to talk to and share that information and then I teach a yoga class um, once a week which is called No Bowl Just Yoga <laughs> and as you could probably guess from the title there is no bull. there mm. is just yoga so it's really just about these basic techniques
1: Tell us again your website and, and that would be, it's the kikiflynn.com. And then we can find your material.
2: Kikiflynn.com. And I'm on YouTube as Kiki says I'm on Facebook as Kiki says I am on Instagram as Kiki underscore says. And if you go to kikiflynn.com, you will, you can click a tab and find your way into Kiki TV if you go on kikiflynn.com, you can click a tab and find your way to yoga success with kiki and you can email me through there join my mailing list and um message me on instagram i'm i'm pretty easy to get in touch with
0: perfect well thank you so much for coming on the show today
2: we're Harmony so excited and Russell, thank to thank you. you so much for inviting me and um I'm so excited you started a podcast harmony because you also have a lot to share and you are connected with so many yoga schools and yoga students around the world and so they can all benefit
0: yeah everyone
2: that listens can benefit from the knowledge of all those relationships I
0: thank hope so, so well thank you and we just are so grateful Love you. thank so much. you very much Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking there's a hard wind and the soil.